This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. You know, just spitballing. Like I have not heard anything about the Bruins being interested in Van Riemsdyk, but like that's the kind of player that kind of comes to mind in this scenario. Yeah, and and this can kind of transition into something else we wanted to talk about, which is, do you think that if Hall or Felino's out long term, or say somehow, and I don't think Hall's injury is serious based off of you know some of the things we've heard. Um, but does does some of the moves that I'll just specifically say the Rangers make make you really consider doing something more like that than you might have before you saw what they did? Um, obviously, they just added Patrick Kane. Um, they have a really really formidable on paper looking forward group now. Um, do you think that seeing that forward group and what they have makes you go, oh, we might consider? doing something a little bit bigger here if we can use long-term IR. I mean, like a middle six ad for me would come to mind. Like, I don't like, you're not just going to go out there and just grab somebody of Patrick Kane's caliber to like go punch or punch with them necessarily. And I, I just think like the Bruins top six is, you know, pretty, pretty similar to that of, of the Rangers. It's a little bit different. I think the Bruins like, so, so the Rangers would have what Zabinajad, Kreider, um, Tarasenko, Panarin, Kane, and Trocek as your top six. Okay, combat that with Bergeron, Marchand, DeBrusque, Krejci, Zaka, Pasternak. Like the Bruins still have Taylor Hall in their third line. So, um, but I think the Bruins forward group is more well rounded, I think, two way. But to answer your question, um, not really. Like I still love the makeup of this team. And, and, I, for my money, it's like I like go out there and grab. If you're gonna grab something, Scott mentions JVR. Okay, um, but like I'm still about like like grab like that that playoff style guy who will, you know, run Patrick Kane through the boards or take a run at Jacob Truba. Like like you don't always want to combat skill versus skill because the Bruins have a ton of skill. So go out there and find those guys that will help you in a playoff series. In, in in the dirty areas, I think they could use that still. I think every team could still use more of that. Yeah, but I don't think they yeah. necessarily need to add anything. Um, like it to to like fully get to the to the question. I don't think they need to add anything. Um, I think it's just we may be elaborating too much on on something that's not really that important. Um, because they seem to have it mostly covered, especially especially because these injuries it's not like a confirmed four weeks, six weeks situation. And I don't think based on what it sounds like hall, especially would be the one you'd be worried about being out for a long time. He did return back home to Boston midway through the road trip, but um, that was just because they knew he wasn't going to be able to play in Edmonton and Calgary. I just don't think he's going to be out long enough um, 
to have to concern yourself over it. Um, yeah. Yeah. But Brian used the right word. Well-rounded, like not Bruins better two way forward group play more defense and better, more well-rounded team overall. So yeah, the Rangers are, are flashy. They're going to be a heck of a lot of fun to watch, but I still have questions about that team's defense. And I don't just mean like their defensemen, which by the way, like Ryan Lindgren is banged up right now. We'll see how much time he misses. Um, but I just like even team defense. I, I have questions about just how committed that team's going to be to that. Kane and Tarasenko aren't guys who want to really play a two-way game. Sorry. And, and Kane is also potentially fighting an injury, which would make his transition to defense a little bit more difficult. And he's also um, becoming like more of an older player now. He doesn't have the kind of speed he did back when they were winning cups. So, yeah, I I, I agree with your, your team de- defense um, assessment. Adam Fox is obviously still one of the best defensemen in the NHL, though. But, um, you know, he's not going to be able to make up for, for the other deficiencies. Um, we have, we, we have one more listener question to get to, I guess, but for now, since we already brought up, um, the Rangers, I guess it just makes the most sense to t- discuss some of the other teams and what they've done and, 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 um, some of the other contenders in the Eastern conference. So I'll just quickly run down Tampa Bay gets Tanner, you know, from the predators for about 17 draft picks, um, Toronto, in my opinion, guys, they have had a hell of a trade deadline. You you cannot say this team is going to be soft to play against in the playoffs. They they got rid of a couple of players that up in Toronto, they would say weren't playoff-style players, like Pierre Engvall and Rasmus Sandin on the back end and Engvall up front. Those guys went elsewhere. Uh, Engvall went to the Islanders, and Sandin, I believe, went to the Capitals. Um, but... The Maple Leafs have added Ryan O'Reilly, Jake McCabe. Is it Sam Lafferty? Either way, his yeah. last name's Lafferty. Um, Noel Achari, uh, Gustafson, and Luke Shen. Like, Tampa Bay versus Toronto is going to be an absolute slugfest. And I'm telling you right now, if the Bruins were to play Toronto in the second round, believe me when I tell you, Toronto would not be um, – they would they would match you in, in 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 the grit category, believe it or not. Like they absolutely would now. Um, obviously, we talked about the Rangers. Um, we know who the Bruins got. The Devils go out there and got Timo Meyer. So just like you know, who do you guys feel like has won the trade deadline so far in the Eastern Conference? Plenty of candidates, and um, are the Bruins still the clear cut favorites, or is somebody kind of creeping up for you now? I think the Bruins are still the favorites. I still like their roster top to bottom the best. You know in large part because they have along with it, you know, I guess like if you want to look at Vasilevsky or Shesterkin, just insane goaltending, which I'd say is still, you know, Maple Leafs have gotten really solid goaltending from Ilya Samsonov in particular this year, but I still have questions about what that's going to look like in the playoffs. Um, But yeah, I think the Leafs are the team that to me has had probably the best deadline of anyone. Uh, Just, have really completely remade, I would say the bottom half of their roster. We know the top half of their roster was already elite stacked with talent. And now they have like that, they have a bottom six and, you know, 
second and third pairing defensemen who, to your point, you know, play more of a playoff style. I, I mean, personally, I really like Rasmus Sandin and I don't totally love that trade replacing him with Eric Gustafson, but everything else they did, Jake McCabe's a player I really like. Um, Luke Shen's basically going to be their eighth defenseman. Like that's, that's solid. That's some really nice deep depth on defense that they've never had before. Um, in Achari and Lafferty, adding those guys to your, whether it's fourth line or one of them's on third line, like really like both of those guys. Those are two guys that I think at the end of a, but you know, game three of a seven game series, you just hate. You're just, if you're an op- op- opposing player or fan, you're just very annoyed with them. Um, and Ryan O'Reilly can be a difference maker if he's, you know, keeps producing the way he has so far with them. Like, and as close to, you know, Ryan O'Reilly of old, like that's, that's huge. So I would still have the Bruins favored in that series, but the Leafs have done a lot to close that gap and to really build more of a playoff style team than they've had in the past. Yeah. And, and if the question is, you know, who's done the most, like who has helped their team the most at the deadline, I think, well, Toronto's throwing the kitchen sink at it, right? They've, they've done a lot. They've just sheer number of players and assets moved was a lot for them. But I think you could argue that each of the teams got better where they needed to get better um, in terms of contenders. Like, I think most of these teams didn't leave trades on the table and went for, went for, you know, Patrick Kane and, and, um, or, you know, the Bruins fixed what they needed. They added you know, a depth forward and they added a, a defenseman for, you know, to, to be there in case they get injured because that has been something that's happened to the Bruins, it seems like, every season. So um, all, every team did something to make themselves more dangerous because they had to, because they knew the rest of the teams in this conference at the top were going to be making their own moves and going all out for things. Um, so... I think every team became more dangerous over the last week or so when trains trade started coming through in terms of Rangers, Toronto, Tampa Bay, Boston yesterday. And this is what I was referring to Scott. Um, Edmonton traded uh, play RV to the hurricanes. Um, I don't know if you guys think the hurricanes have done enough, but some of those other trades that we were talking about, those teams all did make themselves stronger in areas they needed to. And it feels once again, like the hurricanes maybe just aren't, they're being conservative and they're not, they're not able to add what they've maybe needed to add. Now there's still time, but they might've, they might be a team that is waiting on it on something to, to come together. But if they don't do anything else, it's, it's, they're having another unsuccessful trade deadline. You, you read my mind, Bridget. That's that's exactly because you were mentioning like all the teams are keeping up with the Joneses because they know that they have to, except for Carolina and their $10 million in cap space. And and while there's still time, Jesse Pugliarvi is not the guy that's putting them over the top up front. We've talked about it. They're good on the back end. Like bringing in Chikrin, which I think they might still be linked to, it makes no sense to me. They already have a phenomenal back end. Like they need to add up front unless they want Chikrin to play center. Um but like, yeah, Scott. Like, what what do you think of Carolina? Like, what, why? You know, do they, you know, do they think are they on a high horse? Like, do they just like? Because Bridget, you say that there's still time, but yeah, that's true. But look at all the guys that are off the board now. 
I think they they're one of these teams that kind of has the reputation of like they always have to win the trade. And I think that gets you in trouble this time of year where if you're not willing to kind of go above and beyond what you're really comfortable with, like you get caught as, you know, the last person at the dance. Like you're it's you can't have that mindset this time of year. You have to look at what you're going up against. You have to look at what's cost you in the past. Last year, the Hurricanes went conservative, only added Max Domi, and it wasn't enough. They had a really good team that got knocked out in the second round by a Rangers team that just straight up did more than them at the deadline and improved more. And it's like now you look at the, what the Rangers have done this year and the Devils getting Timo Meyer, and it's like you wonder if that's happening again. Now we're recording this, you know, Wednesday just before noon. There's two days to go. But I don't know, like, who that big name is. Like you said, Chikrin, to me, that's adding to an area that's already their strength. Like, I really felt like they needed a scorer, especially because they lost Pacioretty. Um, I'm amazed that they weren't more in on Bo Horvat. Like, they were barely linked to him. I'm amazed that they backed out of the Timo Meyer sweepstakes. Like, I look at what New Jersey gave up, and I'm like, what part of that was you know, unpalatable for Carolina. Like what part of that was like, Oh God, we can't go there. I didn't, I didn't think the devils gave up. They gave up a lot, but I didn't think it was like anything crazy. I thought that was a pretty reasonable trade. And by the way, the teams that uh, Kane goes to like, you're, you're talking and, and Meyer, like you're talking about Carolina's direct competition. They're not going to play them likely in the first round of the playoffs, but they're either more than likely they're either getting the the Devils or the Rangers in the second round if they make it out if they make it to the second round. So now you're playing against teams that made those moves that that you probably should have made um, and added guys like on offense that you probably should have or maybe even did but did target but didn't want to give up enough for. So you're looking you're looking at those guys not only just not going to your team now you have to play against them. Yeah, and 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 the the Rangers, for one reason or another, already had Carolina's number before they acquired Tarasenko and Patrick Kane, and like, and and Scott, you made a comment earlier, and I agree with you by the way about how the Rangers are more of a flashy team right now. But the Rangers also have they do they have those guys too that that have the grit. Like they went out and reacquired Tyler Mott, who they had last year for a playoff run, had to let him go in the offseason to bring him back in. They have Barkley Goudreau on a, now situated with the additions of Tarasenko and Kane. He's no longer playing up in the lineup. He's back down in the fourth line where he should be. Um, they have Jacob Truba, who's a physical guy. They have Ryan Lindgren, if he's not hurt, who's a physical guy. Yes, they have Adam Fox, a Norris Trophy candidate, more a little bit more flash, but the Rangers have that grit. So Carolina, it's like you're, if you're Carolina, you're staring down – you know, where things stand now, they're playing either Pittsburgh or the Islanders, I would think, in the first round. Um, they'd be playing the Islanders. But, man, um, I I am ecstatic for if, – if this is how the, the playoff structure plays out in April and you have, you have Tampa versus Toronto, you have uh, the Rangers versus the Devils, like, oh, my God, like, just wow. Just absolutely wow. Um, so it's going to be really, really fun. A lot of good stuff happening there. Um, it's, it's hard to remember yeah. like a trade, a, a trade deadline that's been like this for the Eastern conference or just in general, 
a year where the top six teams have been Eastern Conference teams. And like this, this conference is just all eyes on the Eastern Conference playoffs is what it feels like to me. I mean, like if you look at, so in the East, you have Boston, Toronto, Tampa Bay, um, Rangers, Devils, that's five, um, Hurricanes, six. Okay. You have six teams in the Eastern Conference of the eight that basically any team besides the non wild card teams or the wild card teams. And by the way, the wild card teams have Sidney Crosby on it and Evgeny Malkin and that championship pedigree. Um, but all the non wild card teams in the Eastern Conference, not one person would bat an eyelash if either one of those teams won a Stanley Cup this year. Then you go out west and you have the defending Stanley Cup champions, which if Colorado's healthy, they're just as good, if not better, than the other six teams I just mentioned in the East. Um, you know, and then it drops off a little bit in the West. Like, you know, Dallas, I think, is really good. I think they lack a little, bit of, little star power, potentially. Um, they've, been, they've had a quiet deadline. Um, Vegas has tried to add a little bit here and there. Um, but, yeah, uh, it's it's going to be really, really fun to watch. Yes, it is very East-heavy, Bridget. But the West has that one team that can challenge everybody. And until you knock them off, they are the the, the, the cream of the crop. The Bruins are the best team in the regular season, but they're not the defending champions. Yeah, I was trying to think of like the last time I can remember a setup like this. And like what I came up with was, was like the Western Conference in the late 90s, early 2000s, where you had, you know, the dynastic Red Wings, the Sackic Forsberg Avalanche, the Madonna Stars, the Pronger McGinnis Blues, like where you had like those teams loaded up. And then it was like kind of just the Devils in the, on the Eastern Conference side. It, like it does like that's kind of what I came up with of of a comparison where it's you know to your point like one conference just totally loaded to the gills and the other like you're kind of just expecting that one team to find a find a way to get back there but yeah I mean it's it, it's rough it's rough if you're the Bruins it's like you're having this historic season and it just so happens to be at the same time as a, a historically strong conference, um, you know, finishing first and, and avoiding one of those two, three matchups is huge. Like we've said it before, as loaded as these six teams are, the Bruins don't have to beat the other five. They only have to beat two. So, um, you know, let, let them all beat each other up, but yeah, it is, it is going to be incredible to watch. And to that point, Scott, like that's exactly right. Like as good as the Rangers are on paper right now, the Rangers have to win two rounds before the Bruins even see them in the conference finals. And the Bruins have to take care of their side of the bracket as well. But to your point, you're right about that. Um, but to what you said kind of sucks for the Bruins, this historic season and, and it's a historically strong Eastern conference. If I'm the Bruins, I'm sitting there saying, good. If we're as, if we're that good, we should be able to beat these teams and there will be no asterisk next to the 2022, 2023 Boston Bruins. Like they were the, they were the best team historically one of the best teams of all time in a regular season and went through historically one of the best conferences of all time. Uh, and then, you know, whoever the Western Western conference champion it, it would be, if it was Colorado, I mean, Jesus Christ, like the Bruins would just might want to fold the franchise after this year. Cause it wouldn't get much better than that. Um, so yeah. Bridget, did you have any closing thoughts on the, the Eastern landscape before a few listener questions? This kind of relates, but this is something I saw that Andrew Raycroft tweeted yesterday, which was that um, there's only, there's 22 games left, right? So um, 
in order for the Bruins to have the all-time NHL record for wins in a season, they'd have to finish out 16 and six. Do you think they can do that? Yep. I think I so mean, too. I, you know, I don't think it's, it's not a primary goal for them to get that record. Brad Marchand said as much last week, but yeah, that's obviously well within their reach. Um, you know, it, it is crazy. Like you, so you mentioned like 22 games left and I mentioned earlier, they still have five back to back. So it's like, almost 25% of their remaining games are the second, you know, second night of, or second day of a back-to-back. But yeah, I think we can, uh, we have, I think we already covered a couple questions, but we have one more. This was from listener Jeff. Um, We actually sent it over like a week ago and, you know, we just haven't had a chance to get to it, but asked who we think uh, might win the seventh player award this year, which I know Nesson has started, uh, promoting uh you know voting during recent games so um who do you guys think who's your leader in the clubhouse right now bridget ladies first ladies first okay so i actually had to think about this for a sec because it depends really how people want to define seventh player um so first of all swayman won it last year um and he's not a horrible candidate again this year but i just don't think it will go to him um just on this team and also having won it last year. But when you think about guys who have like the seven player award kind of goes to a guy that's overperformed. Um, and I think even though Jake DeBrusque is on the, the first line, so technically not necessarily like if you don't want to look at it that way, it's like if you're saying first line and first D pair, no, he wouldn't be the seventh player. He'd be on, he'd be on the ice. He wouldn't be the, the next guy in, but that's not really how this is usually looked at. It's, you know, he's not one of their three best forwards. So is he the next guy? Yes. I think Jake DeBrusque has had a really good bounce back season. I think symbolically it would be nice for him to get it because of the way that things went for him last year. Um, and to just reward him for the kind of season he's had. I think seventh player award makes sense for DeBrusque. Um, I, I think you could also make a case for, once again, Lindholm could be your seventh player, or you could look at him as one of your top two defensemen and that he wouldn't really be eligible for it. And then also based on points um, and uh, a little bit of overperformance, potentially Pavel Zaka, potentially David Krejci, but those would be the the guys that I would look to. And I, I lean towards it being DeBrusque. All, all good suitors. Um, I, I, I agree with you. Like you could look at Lindholm and say just how valuable he's been in particular, the first month plus when there was no McAvoy and he had to shoulder those, those clear cut number one duties. Um, but that more so speaks to me in like more of like a MVP type category rather than a seventh player award because especially after watching him the tail end of last year, we all realized how good Lindholm was and is. So for me, I'm not going Lindholm. Um, I'll just like Trent Frederick is somebody who could merit some points. Um, I know not a lot of people were expecting a lot of Nick out of Nick Foligno based off of last year. So when you're having a season like this, there are so many eligible candidates Connor Clifton I mean he has had a phenomenal year to cut to the chase and then not name all the players in the roster to save some room for Scott um my answer would be um Pavel Zaka whom you mentioned Bridget I just think he's come in here not a lot of Bruins fans knew who he was um certainly didn't know how quality of a player two-way he was he's already exceeded his career high in points for a season um through 
through only what 60 games this year. He has, where is he? Uh, 60 games. He has 15 goals, 26 assists for 41 points in 60 games. I think his previous career high was like 32, like 35 points in like 72 games or something like that. And going forward, they assign him for an extension for four years. And you can just see him being a top six fixture for this team for quite some time. So um, in the essence of the exceeded expectations, I would probably give that award to Pavel Zaka this season. Yeah. So like Nesson's, you know, official listing says uh, Boston Bruin has performed above and beyond expectations. And then later says, you know, seven player award is given each year to the unsung hero of the team. Um, yeah. Th- you're right. Like there are so many candidates. Like I hadn't even really thought of DeBrus because in my mind, I was like, he was on the top line last year. Like I think expectations are already high, but it's like, well, yeah, I mean, like, technically, if you're going through, like, who would be the sick, you know, like your top six? It's like, okay, well, that'd be Marshan, Bergeron, Pasternak, Lindholm, McAvoy, Elmark. It's like, well, yeah, I guess Jake Zabrowski could be the seventh player. Um, but I feel like had he not finished last year so strong, I think he'd, like, be the overwhelming favorite. Because he did, I don't know that he's necessarily exceeded expectations so much as kind of met expectations that had already been readjusted um i'm with brian i think zaka would be my leader right now just because like you know you trade for a guy who's had you know a somewhat disappointing career in new jersey hasn't really found his game and you think he's you know eventually going to settle on your third line at some point and he's been a great fit on your second line with Krejci and Pasternak, and like brian said already a career high in points a lot of big goals, including these last two games, you know, winning goal in Edmonton, tying goal in Calgary. He seems to have a knack for coming through in the third period. Um, he would probably be my pick, but I don't think you could go wrong with Frederick or Felino. Like, I think those guys are going to get a lot of votes. I kind of get the sense that Felino might end up being the winner because I, I feel like a lot of fans are going to gravitate towards him. You know, obviously he's gone from like being the biggest disappointment to being one of the most beloved guys on the team. I think everyone, you know, loves his press conferences, loves the way he plays, loves, you know, the uncle Nick persona. Like I I think a lot of fans are going to flock to Nick Foligno for this vote. And he would probably be my prediction to win it. But my own pick, I think would also be Zaka. To, to just add a little bit more to the DeBrusque thing, I know like this year he was ex- like not expected to be good, but like I think this year you really see his full transformation, um, which it was, you know, part of a continuation from last season. But, um, you know, it was still a question mark. New coach comes in. Is he going to play better under the new coach? Like, um, and it just shows like his this season, he's had some really big goals. And his character has really shown through. Whereas last year, people were were on his case about wanting a trade. Now you see how far he's come this season in terms of <laughs> he was not going to get the seventh player award last year uh, because he was below any of those candidates what, where what people would have thought um, for a big portion of the season or at least the first por- portion of the season. Um, and that this year is kind of just almost like he he just has this fresh new look to him and I don't know I think he's a good candidate for it Felino 
I think you can make a case for most of the guys on the team that because a lot of them have overperformed. I can't think of really any that I would say underperformed. Um, at the very least, people are on par with what you would expect, but most of them have exceeded those expectations. So it's not really like there's some guys that you can't even consider. So Polino is a very likable guy. Um, but I guess it's kind of just open for interpretation how fans want to look at it. That's one of the things when it's a fan vote. People look at it through different things. Felino is very respected and liked. Um, I don't know. It, it could go anyway. And I feel like Zaka is kind of an underappreciated candidate. So I wouldn't like I wouldn't think that he would be the favorite to win it just because I feel like I still hear people talking about him like they don't really fully understand. A lot of people outside of like the really strong fans don't really completely understand his game, I don't think. I mean, for a um... – I mean, Felino's a great story. I think if the Bruins win the Cup, it's going to him second after Bergeron. Um, it'd be a really cool moment. But for me, it's kind of short-sighted because of last year. Like, if if you're looking in the grand scheme of things, he's a former captain in this league, former 20 goals, perennial 20-goal scorer. I think, like, that might be a, a, a fun vote for fans because of the recency bias of last year than compared to this year. But if you're actually breaking down, like, who's made such a strong impact. In the, I mean, Zaka's, like, what, six on the team in points? So um, I think that would probably make the most sense. But what do I know? Um, I know we've gone a little long today. We we didn't get a chance to record as frequently the last five days because of the late starts out in in um, in Canada and um, whatnot. But um, so thanks for bearing with us. No pun intended. Do you guys have anything before we uh, before we sign off here? Fashion segment. I. When I was watching the Calgary Flames game, I need to get your opinion on the flaming horse or whatever <laughs> that jersey is that Calgary was wearing. Scott, do you have anything on that? Yeah, I've never been a fan of that jersey, and I'm still not. So um, I will say – so I wasn't anticipating a fashion segment, but I will say that the jersey that I really love is that Canucks alternate that they wore, the throwback to, to the 90s with uh, – Pavel Burry. Their, their – black red yellow scheme with the flying skate and all that 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 one i love flames never really been a fan of that design yeah the 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 canucks one was sharp the flying skate's a classic uh bridget to your question like um you know i'm for me it's do i think it's the greatest design no but sometimes um yeah nostalgia and sentimental value trumps the actual visual of it and for me when I see that jersey, it reminds me of like being like eight, nine years old playing NHL 03 with uh, Jerome McGinley on the cover with that jersey. So uh, I've always had a soft spot for it and and pretty much a soft spot for all those 90s third jerseys because just I grew up on a lot of them. So um, I like the nostalgia factor, but conceptually, it's not the greatest design. But uh, anywho, um, thank you for bringing that. I, it's always it's always good to discuss jerseys. You know, that's you know, that's my kryptonite. So I know, I know I could get you to stay on longer if I just brought up a fashion yeah, segment. It's going gonna, it's gonna to go from an hour, an hour 20 to four and a half hours. So let's, <laughs> let's pump the brakes there. But yeah, uh, other than that, did you guys have anything else? No, no all no. good. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Continue to send us um, any questions you have regarding the, the trade deadline or the, the push to the playoffs and, and beyond. Um, this is a, this is the best time of year. So, Send us any questions you have. We'll discuss them uh, every episode. Um, but until then, keep keep listening, and, and we appreciate it. So have a good day.